Thanks for joining us on the Cream of the Crop podcast dedicated to agriculture. We talk to top leaders, share top ideas, and discuss top trends and products. We get to the heart of ag and put the issues on the table. Welcome to the Cream of the Crop podcast. Today we have Marshall Sewell. Hey Marshall, excited to have you. Excited to be here. Thank you. It's so strange. We have someone back in the studio. We're not on the phone, so this is so fun. I'm so excited to actually be able to engage in person with somebody. Yeah, the phone deal definitely would have made it odd, so I yeah. appreciate you letting me come in and, and do this in person. It's a miracle our schedule's aligned, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, after you were telling me about your travel schedule and mine, yeah. I've, I'm a bit surprised as well, but I'm <laughs> thankful for it. Must be meant to be. I'm super excited about what we're going to talk about today, but can you just give the listeners like a brief introduction of, of who you are, what you do in the ag space? I can definitely do that. So um, I don't know how in-depth you want me to go, but I did grow up in the Plant City area on my family's farm operation, multi-generational strawberry operation with some mixed vegetables in there. Uh, but long story short, I finished up with school. I went and got a degree at the University of Florida and knew that I wanted to either farm with my family or I wanted to work in a role in which I could help growers. Mm -hmm. And after doing an internship my senior year of college with Seminus Vegetable Seed, I was offered a full-time position with them. And and so I've been working with Seminus ever since through some different mergers and acquisitions. We're now actually under the Bayer Crop Science umbrella. And I'm serving as the U.S. Strategic Accounts and Partnerships Manager for our U.S. vegetable business. That so, sounds serious. Uh, it's, it's a big title. <laughs> it's a big title, but don't let it intimidate you. Uh, I actually, I just have the chance to work with some really cool accounts across the U.S. So I work with some different fruit and vegetable growers across the country, but also supermarket and retail chains. Mm -hmm. I also work with trade and industry associations. Wow. I've seen you at a lot of those events whether it be PMA or United Fresh or FFVA, things like that. So a lot of my role is just staying engaged with growers and other stakeholders in the produce supply chain, yeah. better understanding the pulse of the market, and trying to identify the challenges that our growers are facing, mm -hmm. and also trying to identify resources and ways that we can help them. Well, it sounds like you do that on lots of different areas. So we do that with seed, right? But there's also the reason we're doing this podcast was about mental health. And I think you have a really interesting story, firsthand experience of that um, mental health struggle in agriculture. And so you said with your job, you help identify challenges in ag when it comes to seed. But it's also so cool that you get to do that more on like a mental health side. So tell us what it was like growing up on your family farm. And if you want to get into the story of, of how that farm has been passed down through generation. I'll definitely do that. So if you want to start with the long history of it, uh, it was according to my grandpa, who's sort of the quasi-historian of the family, I guess. That's he, a dangerous statement. <laughs> I suppose, <laughs> I suppose. Um, he's always told us that it was late 1800s, early 1900s, and it would have been his grandfather at the time uh, came down on the railroads, Henry B. Plants Railroad. He came into the Plant City area, and uh, he worked as a telegraph operator oh in Valrico. Oh, my gosh. And so at that time, he was one of the few people that had any, any money saved up because he had a decent job with the railroad, started accumulating a little bit of land, and that's how he got his start farming. Wow. And then it was passed down from generation to generation. Uh, the strawberry market continued to evolve, and uh, my brother and I were born into the fifth-generation operation. Wow. And uh, he now has his son, who is technically sixth generation. But yeah, I grew up farming. Uh, it was predominantly strawberries, and my dad and my grandpa were really big on doing some double cropping as well, so mm -hmm. we would mix in some, uh, some seasonal vegetables as well. But uh, that was... That was really the start of the farming, mm -hmm. um, the farming life for my family. And 
growing up, it was so much more than just a job or a career. Farming was a lifestyle. You get that. Mm -hmm. You have plenty of growers that you work with and you interact with, so you know that. And uh, Anyone that knows you can see that, too, (laughs) that you're very involved in ag from all aspects, so I I certainly can see that. Um, Uh, Your family, like, I mean, did you think you were going to be on the farm forever? Like, did you love it that much from the time you were a child? You know, our, our running joke whenever I was growing up was actually that my brother was always going to end up being the <laughs> farmer, and I wanted to grow the operation, get my own cooler, and I was going to okay. be sort of the marketing and sales aspect of our farm, and it didn't really pan out that way. Um, yet. And not yet. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. No. But uh, that's that's sort of where the mental health aspect starts coming in. We had a little wrench thrown in our plan whenever I was still in high school, mm-hmm. and uh, if you want, I can go ahead and start getting yeah, into that sure story. Yeah, that. Yeah, so for anybody listening, uh, it was my senior year of high school, and as I said, I we had always joked around I was going to go off to school after graduating from high school, get a degree, study ag business, and I wanted to come back and get into sales and marketing and, and just have this large vertically integrated operation mm-hmm. and get to help sell my family's produce. And it was November of my senior year, and... For anybody who's involved in the local strawberry industry, uh, you know this. This is old hat, but for anybody who's not, uh, our rule of thumb locally was that if you had your berries in the ground by around Halloween, you'd yeah. start scrapping through fruit by Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Well, this is early November, and we had our berries in the ground. We had already lived them in, and, and the crop was getting up and going. And we sort of got this industry-wide notification. I believe it came from University of Florida and IFAS and we were just notified that there was a, a disease concern in the local berry industry, that there was some nursery stock that had come down and made its way into Florida, and that there was a concern with anthracnose. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know that I need to explain to your listeners anything about anthracnose, but for those who are unfamiliar, it's a disease that it's, it's pretty bad. It impacts the strawberry plants, essentially shuts them down, and renders the plant useless. Yeah. And Which would be a total loss. A- absolutely. I mean, you've... At this stage of the game, if that gets into your plants and, and it starts shutting shutting down your plants or killing your plants, there's really not a whole lot you can do. Yeah. And we found out about this little industry update, and we could ride around town. Mm-hmm. And you could see different hot spots in different people's fields. Mm-hmm. You could see these plants just starting to wilt down like they just had the life being strangled out of them. And we felt really fortunate. We felt blessed because we'd ride around and look at all this and – while we felt bad for our neighbors and our, our fellow farmers, we'd come back to our home farm and everything looked pretty good. You're like, we got everything, this. Yeah, everything <laughs> seemed all right. Yeah. And then one day uh, just showed up and it was almost like it was overnight. We just noticed at this one particular field, the plants, they were wilting down and we realized that it it had gotten into our field. We had got some of that stock. And so it wasn't ideal uh, for any any of the farmers that you talk to, I'm sure they have had similar instances. It's almost like that punch-in-the-gut feeling where you yeah. sit there and you you sort of take a hard look at everything and wonder what in the world you're going to do. Because mm-hmm. it's like you just gave everything to get to this point, and here we are. My dad used to say that farmers were the ultimate gamblers. Yep. You know, the only difference between <laughs> yeah. what we were doing and going to a casino was just the time horizon. Yeah. You know, instead of just finding out with a roll of a dice whether you lost money or made money, we had to sit there and wait, wait and wait. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, so we were we were fully committed at this point in November. And anyways, we we had that moment where you sit around and you just try to figure out what you what you're going to do. Yeah. And I've spoken to some different people about this. Uh, I've had people ask me to come and speak to classes and different different groups and I always say that 
there's a lot of people when it comes to business and when it comes to entrepreneurship, they love talking about the successes. Exactly. You always hear the stories about the people who just hit it out of the park and created this fantastic business. Nobody, nobody really likes to talk about the failures. You know, what do you do whenever you're down and out and you have no idea what to do next? Which those failures lead to those successes. So they're just as important oh, to yeah. talk about. Oh, yeah. And a lot of times those are your greatest learning moments. Yeah. And, and we were in the middle of one trying to figure out what to do. And uh, it was at that point where we were trying to figure that out. And a lot of people have asked since then, well, you have these plants. They're dying you know, why didn't you just spray them? Why didn't you pull them up and replant? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? And I'll just, I'll run through that real quick to address them. But with those plants already dying, any spray that would have been put on them, that was just additional cost. Yep. It would have been throwing real good money at a real bad situation. Yep. It would have been a Band-Aid at best. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as replanting, we we're already that close to harvest. There were no plants to be had. And Too if we, late. so you weren't going to find any. And if we had tried to replant, it would have completely thrown us mm -hmm. off schedule. Mm -hmm. They would have come on too late. Yeah. So uh, didn't really know what to do. And the icing on the cake was while we had all of this going on at the berry farm, down the road we were also running some cows, and we had been waiting on a load of hay to come in. Like I said, it's November time frame, mm -hmm. and winter's right around the corner, and so we were getting ready for that when we are going to be low on grass. And, of course, the load of hay was running late. I mean, with everything else going on, why wouldn't it? When it, when it rains, it pours, right? Mm -hmm. So it was a Saturday, and uh, it was November 17th, and we had been waiting and waiting all day for this load of hay to show up. And it finally showed up Saturday evening, and my dad, my mom, myself, and a handful of other people, we were all sitting around, and we had been waiting and waiting, getting frustrated. This load of hay finally shows up, and we hopped to it. We were all on different yeah. pieces of equipment. My dad was running a forklift. And he went and he was using the forklift to bring rolls of hay down off the trailer. And then I had a tractor and a hay fork and I was just sticking rolls of hay and moving them about. And I remember the forklift breaking down. It was just like, of course. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And it was one of those things where so much was going on. And I was just waiting for like the pot to finally bubble over. Yeah. I just wasn't sure mm -hmm. what was going to happen. I thought my dad was going to get real upset. And he actually just kind of shut everything down. Mm -hmm. And he was like, hey, we've had enough of this. Like, we've. We've got too much going on. We're just going to call it quits. It's been a long day. Let's just take it easy this evening. He said, I'm going to take everybody to dinner. So it, not even just family. I mean, everybody that was there working the on Oh, yeah, the whole yeah. Like, we all, we went to Applebee's. I still remember. We sat at Applebee's, <laughs> and we had dinner. And uh, the next day, it was Sunday, November 18th. And I remember I woke up, and I had full intentions of just putting on my work clothes, going to the farm. I was going to help Dad work on the forklift, and get all the hay moved, and, and he had different plans. So he ended up telling me, he's like, I'd really rather you go to church with your mom. Mm -hmm. I said, yes, sir, I can do that. So I, I took my mom to church that day, and he went off to the farm, and he was going to work on the forklift. And I went to church with her, and at some point during that hour-long sermon, I, I really don't know what it was. You know, maybe he was over there working on things and just getting really frustrated and thinking about all the issues that were going on. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not really sure what might have been going through his, his mind. Yeah. But either way, uh, he made the decision that day that when faced with all those challenges and all those stressors, 
uh, he decided to take his own life. Mm -hmm. It was that Sunday, November 18th. We didn't know that at the time. Oh, wow. We didn't know. And and so whenever you've heard this story before, mm -hmm. Bristol, that's usually where it sort of ends. Um, but I, you asked to share just a little bit more and yeah. kind of the backside of it. Whenever we got out of church, typically what would happen is we would get a hold of my dad and we would all go together as a family and we'd go get Sunday lunch. Mm -hmm. And we got out of church and it was the next tail two-way days. Oh, Every, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah the beep beeps. That's mm -hmm. right. And so I had the, the next tail and I kind of beep beeped him and we were nerds. I mean, we, we talked like we had CB radios and we were truck drivers yeah. or something. So I was on the two-way talking to him and I was like, ah, come in, Marty, come in, Marty. This is Marshall. Come in. And, and you could tell it was going through because it didn't, it didn't beep it off or block it off or anything. And I did that a couple of times. And then next thing you know, he, you could tell he shut his phone off and it just, it wouldn't go through anymore. It was just all beep or all static. And at the time you had no idea what was going on. No clue, no clue. So we went to lunch as we had planned and, and we all ate lunch and we just thought it was weird. Yeah. And we assumed that maybe he was just super busy. Or frustrated and was just like, I need to take care of all this. Not even not, not even that. It was just we, we didn't even think like that. We just assumed that maybe he got hung up at one of the fields or he was wow. running water or doing something or maybe he was still working on the forklift or whatever. Yeah. And we left there and we went by the farm or by the field where the hay was. Forklift was fine. The hay was all unloaded, moved around. And we went over to the farm to check around and, and I mean, you could see tire tracks where, you know, he'd been driving around yeah. and things like that. We went all over. We went cow pasture looking. We could not find him. And, and just some listeners aren't from Central Florida or familiar with, but farms here, like you guys, they were spread out, right? You didn't have oh, just that, one. Oh, that's right. Block. That's right. So, so we tracking all over the place. We were going. Um, we were. <laughs> we were technically going from Valrico to Dover to wow. Turkey Creek, yeah. Plant City. I mean, we were kind of bouncing around and. Uh, for anybody listening who doesn't know, it's not like that's very far, but we had different spots spread out probably, I mean, within half hour's range. Yeah. And so we're driving around just trying to find them at different spots and, and couldn't figure it out. Later that evening, um, my brother had been gone that day, and he showed up that evening, and we sort of filled him in on everything, and we were trying to figure out what was going on. And uh, we were advised that we should not put out a missing persons report because it hadn't been a certain amount of time. Oh, wow. And then we ended up, after talking to some more people, we were told that we should, when he hadn't showed back up that night, we were told that we should probably issue an endangered person's oh, report. Gosh. So is that maybe the moment when you were like, uh-oh, like, I don't know. That was, it was that Sunday night whenever he hadn't, he we hadn't heard from him, and it was dinner time. Okay. And that's when we knew that it was really odd. So he, he didn't show up. Hadn't heard anything from him. Called around. Nobody nobody had heard anything. Monday morning rolled around, and my mom sent me to school. And and she told me, she's like, you know, I know we got a situation, but you need to go to school. Mm -hmm. I went to school, and I think I made it through one period. Yeah. I got, I got to how that could you even, like, think? I, mean, I, I got to that first class, and my teacher knew something was up, and I mm -hmm. told him what was going on, and he said, you need to be home. Yeah. You need to go home and be with your family. And so I went home. Um and I should probably clarify, too, my brother's older, so he was already graduated, and he was home as well. And I know it's getting a, long, a little long-winded, so I'll fast forward. But it ended up being the morning of Tuesday, November 20th, that's when we finally got the call 
uh, after issuing all the alerts, um, Hillsborough County Sheriff's, they called. Um, we found out that my dad had been found, and he had actually, whenever I was beeping him on the next hill, he was on his way. They pinged his phone and found out that he had been on Highway 39, and he was on his way all the way to the south end of the county. And he got down there and made his way to a farm that belonged to one of his lifelong mentors like so not even your your not even our own farm okay not even our own farm he went to somebody else's farm just somebody that he really looked up to and admired in the industry um somebody he had always thought really highly of went down there and decided to take his own life in um one of their farms and the only rationale i've ever been able to come up with over the years is that maybe there was sentimental value to it but i also Mm -hmm. think he just wanted to get away um from this area and didn't want to run the risk of us being the ones to actually find him. Yeah. And so he did that. He took his own life, and we did not know about it until – we didn't officially know about it until November 20th. So two wow. days uh, we were trying to figure that out. So So in that moment of those two days, I mean, what – at the state of your family, I'm sure, was just you, – you're all broken, you're all confused. But what was happening on the farm? I mean, were you guys still having to farm while wondering – like, I mean, what was that – what did that look like? As a family, we've talked about this so many times. You know, in in some scenarios that could have played out, we, we might have just sat around and just let everything fall to the wayside. But just like I said, my mom told me, you're going to school. Yeah. And it was the same thing with the farm. We were very fortunate in the sense that we all realized this was still our livelihood. Yep. This was not an ideal situation, but this farm needed to be tended to. And so we continued with the operations and – my mom will even still say there were times that week while my dad was missing or we hadn't found him yet or even when we had begun funeral plans and all those things mm-hmm. when we, we'd we have to go and deal with doing payroll mm-hmm. and or go figure out, you know, running water and running fertilizer and doing those things or starting to get ready for scrapping through berries yeah. and things like that. And things still had to be done. Which and is so admirable of your family to be able to keep going. And – I appreciate that, um, but my mom is definitely the one that at that point in time gets the credit. Um, yeah. She was sort of the the glue that held everything together at that particular time. Yeah. You know, my brother and I were fortunate in the sense that we had enough hands-on experience and we were old enough that mm-hmm. we could get through a lot of the day-to-day activities at the farm. Yeah. Um, but with my mom helping oversee and run the books and the, the payroll and those yeah. things, collectively we were able to keep it functioning, but... Yeah, you, you were talking to me when we were sort of planning out this whole podcast episode, and a lot of people want to hear this story and hear about the stress leading up to yeah. and everything that happened with my dad. The stress on the backside was very real, too. Exactly. You know, it's when something like that happens, there's so much more to it than mm-hmm. just that event. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just go away after that. Yeah, so. and I'd like to talk about that because I think – when we hear about suicide in the ag space, we think about, okay, how do we prevent the stress from getting that bad? But we never hear about after something has, some someone has done that out of our control, then how do we deal with the effects afterwards? Because yeah, like there, there's ultimately an, an after, after your dad passed away, you still had to farm. I mean, like you said, it's your livelihood. So what did that look like? I know for you guys, it looked like your mom rallying the troops and, and getting it done, but you know, seasons end and there's summertime off. And then what is planning for next year? Like, what did that look like afterwards? Oh, 
I think I think the psychological terms for it are probably repression. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. No, just trying to set those things aside as best you can mm-hmm. and and deal with the task at hand. Yeah. Every single person who you talk to is going to have a different means of dealing with stress and, and coping with those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, some people might so, go so far as to consider it uh, yeah. like PTSD mm-hmm. or traumatic stress, yeah. things like that. Um, you know. Again, everybody's different. Some people want to bottle things up. Mm-hmm. Um, some people want to just stay busy. Yeah. Uh, some people want to open up and address it head on. And at that particular moment in time, we were more of a nose to the grindstone. Mm-hmm. Let's just keep ourselves really busy. Yeah. And that was sort of the approach, whether it was going back to school. I mean, we had my dad, my dad's funeral planning, then the funeral, and then Thanksgiving. And then as soon as that happened, my mom said, you're back to school. Yeah. You are going back. And there were even teachers that were calling home. They're like, are you sure about this? And and I thank my mom for it to mm-hmm. this day. And and she told me, she said, it's going to be tough. It's it's not going to be fun. She said, but the more we sit around yeah. and sulk yeah. and dwell in this, exactly. the worse it's going to be when we finally try to get back on the horse. Mm-hmm. She said, it may not be fun now, but we need to go ahead and be proactive. And when it comes to the mental health thing, I think that's what I really try to advocate for so much is proactivity. Yeah. It sounds so generic, but a lot of times we deal with things reactively. Mm-hmm. Like look at physical health. Yep. You, you get out of shape or you get sick or something. Well, I should probably go to the gym now. Exactly. I should probably go get some medicine now. And mental health, I'm really, really stressed. I'm dealing with anxiety. You know, I should, I should start dealing with it. What could we be doing proactively to, prevent. to actually prevent those things or do preventative yeah. maintenance? And uh, so so that's one of the big things I usually try to use this platform for is to talk about uh, just well-being in general mm-hmm. and, and what can what we can proactively be doing to address it head on. Yeah, instead of sitting around waiting for it to affect us to the point of we can't get up in the morning exactly. and move forward. Um, I just want to hug your mama's <laughs> neck because I'm telling you, listening to the things that you've said of how she's handled this and walked through this, Um, I think the biggest takeaway for me hearing your story is it's so special that your family doesn't have resentment to agriculture because of this. Because do you, do you see that happening? I mean, I'm sure you've met other people that have gone through something similar and where it's like, we're selling the farm. We can't have a part of this. Definitely. So, you know, in doing this, I've had the chance to interact with so many people Mm -hmm. that have gone through their own stressful situations or they've lost somebody. And it's a huge spectrum of, of, ways that people have coped yeah. and, and dealt with it. And you're right. Some people get very um, resentful. Some people get very bitter. Mm-hmm. I still remember right after everything happened, I had one of my teachers at school who ended up telling me, hey, you're going you're gonna to get very angry at your, your dad one day. Mm. You're, you're going to have a lot of negativity built up. And fortunately, I've, I've never Thank had God. that. Thank God. I, you know, if anything – as I've gone more and more down this road of talking about mental health and trying to advocate for it, if anything, I just, I feel empathy mm-hmm. for whatever it was that was really bothering my dad that bad. Yeah. I think that I can empathize with you. Similarly, it was not apparent for me, but it was one of my very best friends and totally out of left field, talked normally months, you know, leading up to, and all of a sudden I get a phone call that he had taken his own life. And it was just like, like when you said that gut feeling, like just that gut punch, it was like, what do you mean? Like, what could I have done? That's the first thing, you know, I think that a lot of people go to is what could I have done to prevent this? And being proactive, I think individually can prevent it in ourselves. 
So if we're all doing that, you know, I, I wish that my friend was here. Absolutely. But I've taken his story and I've been able to share it to give hope to other people. And so I think that's what you're doing. Share a little bit about that journey and what it's looked like. I know when I tried to get you on the podcast the first time, you're like, I'm not a professional. I just tell my story. So (laughs) um, tell me what that's looked like for you. Oh, I'm still not a professional. That's for sure. Uh, But I'm trying, you know, whenever the opportunities pop up, I'm I'm not seeking them out by any means, but it started a couple years ago when it was actually some people that I've known for years, just in my personal network, they were involved with Georgia Farm Bureau and, and Georgia Young Farmers and Ranchers. And uh, it was actually post-Hurricane Michael, and and some of those people, their operations, their businesses were really devastated Mm -hmm. after that. And they reached out, and they said, listen, we don't even know how to address this topic. Yeah. And you came to mind because you've lived it. you Will you please come up here, and will you just tell your story? And I was like, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a not a therapist mm-hmm. or a psychologist or anything like, like that. Exactly. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Full stop. I'm, you know, yeah. I'm, I might not be the guy. And they mm-hmm. said, no, you, you come from the industry yeah, and you've been through it. Will you just come and tell the story? You get it. And I was just floored by the amount of people who followed up after that and, and talked to me about their own issues they were having and their own stories. And I was like, man, there's, there's really something to this. And that's been my whole platform the whole time of just uh, within farming, we just, we're often branded, and rightfully so, we're branded as these just grassroots, super traditional, mm-hmm. thick-skinned people, and we don't talk about problems, and we're too tough for that. And We cry in the oh, closet. We don't oh, yeah. My, people. my grandpa has his bumper sticker on his truck that says farming isn't for sissies oh and all gosh, that. You yes. know, it's it, the whole deal. And so to sit here and say, that we're going to address our issues. We're going to talk about the things that are bothering us. Like I've even got family members that are like, what is this? Uh, the hug squad? Like, are you, I was you know? just going to ask you, do you run into resistance with how focused you are on this like emotional and mental health because of what you've gone through? Uh, not, not really. Okay. I mean, there's some jokes that come of it mm-hmm. and everything, but it's, it's not everybody in my mind. It's not everybody sitting around holding hands, singing exactly. Kumbaya or anything. Yes. It's just like, Hey, at the end of the day, yeah. if we really sit back and look at the problems that we have within our businesses, mm-hmm. yeah, the nuances are a little different here and there, yeah. but ultimately we're dealing with a lot of the same stressors. We really are. And if we talk yes. about it, there's like unity to be found. Therefore, That's it. we don't feel so alone. And That's isolated. exactly it. And uh, you and I were talking earlier before we even started this. We've been to these industry events in Florida and in Georgia and D.C. and California. And we go to them. And yes, the details are a little bit different. But ultimately, we've got this huge network within the produce community. And we know when there are times of disasters. We know when there are times of market failures or we're dealing with trade and regulation or trade regulation related issues Mm -hmm. labor they're all the same hot topics and buzzwords when we were in because you were at united fresh dc i was there with the immersion program and saw you there that was well first it was one of the first in-person conventions after covid so that was just an amazing Mm -hmm. feeling to be like in person with people again but more so than that the time of being there together and like really rallying for these changes that need to be made because we knew what was was happening. We were all on the same page. We were all feeling the pain points from labor issues or from trade issues, you know, all these different things. That moment was like one of the most unifying moments 
that I've ever experienced in the fresh produce industry that I've, I mean, I've only been in for four years is like, oh my gosh, wow, look what happens when we all come together because of something that's going on, what change we can provide. And now we're not like isolated of like, oh, I'm struggling to find labor and I feel like I'm a failure. Oh, well, let me look. Everyone in the United States of America is struggling to find labor. How can we fix it? It's a collective battle for sure. It was so, it was so empowering to be in that moment. Um, I did want to ask you just what you think the industry needs to do better at that we could all do, every listener, myself, you, and, and not through our jobs or through some association, just what can we do to better make this mental, emotional health um, a priority in our lives, but certainly in our lives in agriculture with the stress that we face? Uh, to really address... I know it's a loaded no, question. No, 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 you're good, you're good. It's just my... The way my brain works, I just went 15 different directions, yeah. and I'm trying to decide which which I little rabbit hole I want to go yes. down. Um, so if if you'll just uh, if you'll well if you if you'll indulge me, I'll I'll touch on a couple yeah. real quick. But first off, I think uh, probably individually. Mm-hmm. So individually, what can you do in the short run? The very simple fix, and well, it's not a simple fix, but what can you begin doing right now? And I think that as individuals, it's just being transparent. Yeah, it's being open to the idea that. One thing I've noticed in all of this advocacy that that we've been working on is that people often misassociate mental health with mental illness. Mm-hmm. There's so good. There are stigmas to both, yep. but there's much more of a stigma to mental illness. Yep. So if we look at mental health like we do physical health and those sorts of things, okay, we're going to the doctor every now and then for our routine checkup. We're wanting to take care of ourselves physically. In my mind, it's almost like going and getting the oil changed on your vehicle or yeah. something like that, doing that preventative maintenance, we need to be checking in on ourselves. Mm-hmm. And also that carries over to the other loved ones within our network too. What yeah. are we doing to check in on those around us? Mm-hmm. So I think just we could really do a lot to destigmatize the idea of mental health. Yeah. We just address that we have issues. We all do. You know, we, we do, whether we want to talk about it or not. And I heard something the other day that was really profound to me. It's going to sound generic, but I, I really enjoyed hearing it. And it was a, and, and maybe listeners can use this as a challenge, but think through your Rolodex of all the people within your network, people you're close with. Think of one person who could probably really use a call. Wow. During, this, during this season, you know it's planting season, harvest season, it's off season, whatever it is. Think of somebody right now who could really use a call. Yeah. Call them. Out of the blue, just call them. Check on them. If you cannot think of anybody at all, in your network who could use a call, it's probably you. Mm-hmm. So still call somebody anyways. Wow, that's and so good. And it's so practical. That's what I use a lot of my driving time for <laughs> because my drive is, we're driving all over the place. And I'm like, okay, that's, I, I tend to do that. And I've had so many people that have answered and said, you have no idea how much I needed. Just a little bit of encouragement today. Yeah, and it, it sounds a little hokey, but I'm real big on the idea of just checking in on one another. Yeah. And back to my mom, she she always says, you never understand the struggles that somebody else might be going through. So always be kind, always check in. And so I, I've taken that seriously. I mean, she's yeah. been right so far. Every so time. That's Mom right. never lies. <laughs> that's right. And then um, to kind of bring it back around as far as what we could be doing, uh, and, and I'll leave this to listeners. I'll, I'll get your idea on it. But something that's been on my mind is um, I was interacting with a group um, with some Navy SEALs a while back, and we were actually discussing mental fortitude just this concept of there being a spectrum of mental fortitude and where we fall within it on dealing with stress and coping with stress. 
With Navy SEALs. With Navy SEALs. No pressure, right? Oh, no pressure at all. And it was just, it was so interesting to hear that take because you've got some people, I had somebody that was, you know, interacting with my mom the other day and having a really hard time because, you know, their car broke down. Yeah. Just really struggling. And then you talk to the Navy SEALs and they're like, hey, it's a good day if we don't die. Literally. So, perspective. Oh, that's, that's for sure. But in talking with them, um, I just... I found it interesting when they were saying about what they go through in terms of, okay, we have these super high-stress, high-anxiety situations. Whenever we get through them, we sort of just do a debrief or a decompress. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've wondered what that might look like in the ag industry. So good. And, uh, you know, whenever there is some sort of a market failure, whenever there is some sort of a disaster, freeze event, mm-hmm. hurricane, or something like that, what's being done from a debrief-type standpoint? Or, you know, is there any sort of system in place for people to do any sort of checking in? And I'm thinking, trying to rack my brain of, like, is does that exist? And I don't know of a place that it does. Uh, off the top of my head, it does not exist, other than just one-off calls and people within your network giving you a call to see if you need anything. And, like, what, I mean, we want to propel change. So, like, if we were to, Marshall, let's just make it, let's make it happen. Let's do it. Every time there's some tragic event, we'll put on a show, a conference, we'll make it happen. But... I mean, it sounds so like, duh, why don't we do that? Yeah, And you're thinking about it. I, it's, it's been on my mind a little bit. I think about, um, you know, there's so much conversation around telehealth and things like that. And, you know, I, I think that that's definitely a tool in the toolbox. Uh, there are concerns around things like telehealth because it's difficult to talk to a farmer about getting them to go in and see a therapist or something oh, like yeah. that. That's oh, tough. Yeah. And so I don't know that even getting them to call a therapist or do virtual mm-hmm. therapy or anything like a lot of that, I just, I have a hard time sometimes thinking that a lot of people are going to jump on that bandwagon yep. very quickly. Yep. Um, so I've just tried thinking of other approaches and something to do with, with a more regionalized or localized outreach during those times of mm-hmm. stressors. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if, if there's something to that. Well, I think you're definitely onto something with this idea of a debrief because I think in the industry when crisis happens, tragedy happens, Certainly, like, I mean, I can relate it growing up right here next to Plant City. When freezes happen, you know, you're losing crops. You're hoping that your frost protection works. After that, it's put your nose to the grindstone and and fix it. Make it happen. Get better for next season, and that's it. There's no, like, camaraderie of how how did we get through that? How could we have done that better next time, you know? And I think that that's so impactful and serves as a type of therapy, you know, whether we want to call it that or not. For sure. I I think it does putting everyone's heads around the table and and talking through those things. Um, You're definitely onto something. (laughs) I did have one and my friends all make fun of me for it because they tell me it's super cheesy, but something that I challenged myself to do a few months ago um, was called my thankful list. And every morning, I used to wake up, and I don't know if anyone is guilty of this, but I would wake up and click on Facebook app as soon as I opened my Start eyes. Start scrolling. Yes, and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, oh. it sets me up for failure. So I refuse, and now I have deleted my app, so I have to, like, be very intentional if I want to log in, and I write one thing I'm thankful for when I wake up and one thing I'm thankful for when I go to bed, and it really has grounded me. Like, it really has given me that perspective you were talking about to be mm-hmm. like, I have food, okay? That If all I'm That's thankful right. for today is food, right. praise God for it. Um I did think maybe maybe one thing that you could just tell listeners, like one action item to say, this is what we should do um, to create better change in this space. Like if you could say, you know, I, a challenge maybe for listeners, what's one thing that they could do better at every day to help de- help increase our mental health? 
it's a hard one. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a difficult one because, again, there are so many approaches. Yeah. But as far as proactively changing mental mm-hmm. health, I really like your idea of fresh start first thing in the morning. Yeah. And and I'm not trying to just, you know, tag along on your idea or anything. No. I really do think it's a very sound one. But first thing in the morning, think of a handful of things that are good. Mm-hmm. You know, because so many of us a lot of times like we'll wake up, go to bed thinking about the things stressing us out and then mm-hmm. wake up in the morning thinking about all this. dream about them? Dream about so them. So annoying. <laughs> wake up and think about all the things that you've got to do that day. And uh, here, here lately, I haven't done it the same exact way that you have, but I've actually, I've, I've gotten into a pretty decent habit of waking up and just, uh, I've got some really cool things going on in my life. Yeah. You know, my, my wife and I are expecting our first baby. So excited. That's right. That's <laughs> right. And just, uh, I've been waking up thinking a lot about the good things. Yeah. And um, so I think if you can take some time to really focus and reflect on those, mm-hmm. some people consider it reflecting, some people consider it meditating. Yeah. Um, Whatever you want to call it. Whatever you want to call it. Maybe just intentionally take a few minutes before you jump on the phone, before you grab the newspaper, mm-hmm. whatever. Spend a little yeah. bit of time thinking about those good things in the day rather than just jumping to all the tough things you're going to have to deal with. That's so good because it is the first thing when your feet hit the floor, like, crap, I got to get dressed because I'm already late, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, to take it one step further, I would challenge lis- listeners to either maybe create a note in your phone or write it down. Um, there's so much power in that because I found my journal that I, I did this a long time ago. I think I was in high school and I found that journal and was like so grounding to see the things that I was thankful for, like what, 10 years ago. And now being able to see the things that I now have that I was wishing I had then or things like that. It's been really cool. Um, but I'm so thankful that you share your story because it's not an easy one to talk about, but you're using it to, to create change and, and to propel people forward and I'm so appreciative that you came to share it with us today. Oh, thank you very much for providing the platform and, and allowing us to have the conversation. I know yeah. there are still a lot of people that find it sort of a an awkward topic or a taboo topic and I, I think that by addressing it head on that's one of the best ways that we can actually keep working on destigmatizing it. Yeah. And I've heard you speak at some shows or some conventions and it's like you go to a convention, you don't think you're going to talk about like this, this heavy story, right? And no. you do such a great job at making that seem something that's so taboo and heavy and, and really making it a practical way for us to do better as an industry. So well, go Marshall, that. give yourself a high five <laughs> if you haven't today. <laughs> if you or someone you know is thinking about suicide, whether they are in crisis or not, reach out to 1-800-FARM-AID or call the National Suicide Prevention Line at 800 273 8255. Starting the conversation and providing support to those who are in need can help prevent suicide and save lives. Thank you for joining us today. This podcast has been a presentation of Has Media Copyright 2021, all rights reserved. Be sure to follow us on social media, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook at Highland Ag Solutions. Yeah.